And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with Miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. And comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360. This time, it's the conclusion to Duffy's Tavern, then a terrifying tale by the Whistler. But right now, here's the conclusion to Duffy's Tavern from May 18, 1949. <laughs> I got a funny hunch there's something in that envelope Duffy don't want me to see. Now, there's a shrewd observation. <laughs> Meaning what? Meaning you're a jerk. <laughs> He's certainly paying a pretty phrase. Never mind what kind of a phrase I turn. You just put that envelope in the safe. That's Papa's orders. All right, I'll put it in the safe. Um, uh, hey, Eddie, uh, who was that good-looking sailor just passed by the window there? Where? Archie, I'll see you a little later. I gotta go out on the net. <laughs> I thought that'd do it. <laughs> Eddie, get the letter opener. Letter opener? Yeah, the tea kettle. Uh, Mr. Archer, now you see that? You can't steam that letter over. It's private property. Eddie, if people don't want their letters open, they shouldn't mark them personal. <coughs> Give me that tea kettle. Uh, Archer, if I were you, I wouldn't open that letter. Why not? Well, you remember me, Cousin Willie. He opened the letter like that one time, and it was another guy's draft notice. So? So, Cousin Willie spent five years in the Army. Well, if it was another guy's draft notice, why didn't your cousin Willie explain it to the army? Well, he figured it was their mistake. Let them find it out. <laughs> you know, I, I think Mr. Finnegan is right. Yeah. You better put that envelope in the safe. Yeah, maybe you're right, Eddie. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can't. I got to open it. If I don't find out what's in an envelope, I go nuts. You know, with a thing like that hanging over me, I, I couldn't concentrate. And, you know, if I can't concentrate, I, I can't think. And, and if I can't think, I can't work. If I can't work, I lose me job. If I lose me job, I, I go hungry. Then what? I start stealing. And the cops is after me. So I hide out here in the tavern. The cops find me, see, and they, they start shooting at me. Then what happens? They miss me, and they kill you. <laughs> Yeah, so you see, Eddie, it ain't just idle curiosity about this envelope. I'm, I'm opening it to save your life. It's too bad that contest ain't for the windiest bartender. Never mind the caustics. Now, give me the tea kettle. Okay. Now, uh, hold the envelope over the steam, Eddie. Okay. Yeah, that does it. Now, let's see what's inside. Holy cat, look. Duffy's will. Let's read it, Eddie. Okay. 
Being of sound mind and in full possession of my faculties... Even on his deathbed, he brags. <laughs> Who does he leave the money to, Eddie? Let's see. He says, To my daughter, Miss Duffy, who is at present an old maid, <laughs> I bequeath my Manhattan telephone directory and wish her good hunting. <laughs> Does he mention anybody else? Uh, Let's see. Yeah. To my dear loving wife, who loaned me two dollars for our wedding license, I hereby leave the sum of two dollars and close the account. <laughs> and when and if my wife dies, I want her to know that even in death I'll be happy to meet her halfway. <laughs> I'll come down a little if she'll come up a little. Eight to five, it's the other way around. But Eddie, don't uh, he mention nobody else? Yeah. I hereby reward my faithful employee, Eddie Green. He need never work such long hours for such short pay again. He's fired. <laughs> See you all soon, son. <laughs> Don't he mention nobody else? Oh, yeah. Yes, to Archie. Well, at last. Uh, what does he say about me, Eddie? Let me see. Now, he says this. He's left the crumb. In a jerk. Oh, you're a crooked. Laziest. <laughs> this I know, but what's he leaving me? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I hereby recognize that Archie is responsible for making Dovey's Tavern what it is today. Nothing but insults. <laughs> Let me see that thing. In view of the above, it is my last wish that upon my death, the sole owner of Duffy's Tavern will be my good friend Archie. Eddie, did you hear that? I'm the air consumptive to the tavern. <laughs> I can't figure it out, though. Why is the guy leaving the joint to me? Revenge? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, leave us not look a gift to us in the mouth. I'm the new owner of Duffy's Tavern, Eddie. I think this calls for a drink. <laughs> hey, old man. Yeah, thanks. Woo, well, here's to our new owner. Best of luck. Thank you, Eddie. Down the hatch. <laughs> oh, that was good. Huh? You like that drink, Eddie? Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna cost you fifty cents. <laughs> fifty cents? You heard me. From now on, no more free drinks. As the new owner of the tavern, it's business before friendship. But Archie, a few minutes ago, everything was on the house. Mister Finnegan, anybody can be free with the other guy's money, but to be stingy with your own money takes real character. <laughs> But, Mr. Arson... Sorry, gentlemen, your arguments fall on dumb ears. <coughs> In the future, I will thank you to remember that I am the sole owner of the tavern once removed. What do you mean? Once Duffy's removed, I'm the owner. <laughs> See, now, how could I get Duffy to play ball with us? Ball? Yeah, you know, drop that. <laughs> uh, I wonder how his health is, uh, Oh, uh, Miss Duffy... Yeah? Uh... Nice weather today. Yes, it is. 
Your father's still alive? Of course. Oh, has he been doing anything harmful to his health lately? What? I mean, don't you think he should take a trip and get away from it all? Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that. Just the other day, Papa was talking about taking a trip around the world. Mm-hmm. The trip I had in mind was even longer. <laughs> I think I'll give him a call. Hello? Is this the late Patrick Duffy? <laughs> well, look, old man, this is Archie. I'm a little concerned about your health. Uh, how's your liver? It is? Oh, that's too bad. It's better? Yeah. <laughs> look, uh, Duffy, I think you ought to relax. You know, uh, take up a hobby. Oh, I don't know, like uh, golf, bowling, suicide. <laughs> Well, uh, think it over. I'll call you later. <clears throat> you know, Eddie, it's me own fault that Duffy's having is so run down. With a little extra work, this place could be a gold mine. You know what? Well, it's smart enough of you to admit it. Oh, I'm big enough to admit it when I'm wrong. Yes, I look back now, I think the whole trouble is that I ain't been driving you hard enough. <laughs> now, just a minute. Quiet. We're in conference. <clears throat> now, in the future, I want you to keep busy around here. Get them cobwebs off the ceiling and... Clean out the kitchen and mop that floor and wash them walls. Tote that barge and lift that bill. <laughs> now, look, Captain Bly. When am I going to have time? When am I going to have time to do all these things? My good man, why do you think we give you a lunch hour? Lunch <laughs> hour? The time I get off from lunch, I ain't even got no time to eat. I'll just spend my ten minutes being hungry. <laughs> then in the future, cut it down to five minutes It'll be better for your stomach <laughs> And remember, Mr. Green The company is more important than the individual In other words, if this industry is to propagate Each link in the chain must be pulled asunder <laughs> We must all picture ourselves as busy little beavers Building a dam Arch, please, there may be ladies present <laughs> And I have the floor. As I say, we are just one big happy family with the management constantly looking out for the employees' welfare. And in closing, I would like to mention that by subscribing 90% of your salary to our benevolent pension fund, you can retire on half pay at the age of 103. <laughs> you know I ain't gonna live that long. Mr. Green, the management is scarcely responsible if you happen to be in delicate health. What are you doing there, Miss Archie? Oh, nothing. Just waiting for Duffy to drop dead. <laughs> Say, come to think of it, Eddie, didn't the doctor once tell Duffy he had a weak heart? What about it? Give me that phone. Hello, Duffy? Boo! I don't to speed up production. Hi, uh, Ike. Uh, what about that most popular bartender contest? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, you know. 
Old Gino Archie better start packing his bags for Atlantic City. Oh, Atlantic City? Yeah. Oh, well, when you get down there, I'd like you to look up a friend of mine. He works in the fun house. Penny, and I'm afraid I'm going to be too busy being genial to have time to look up any of your crummy friends. Oh, but he's a very important guy. An important guy in a fun house? Yeah. He's the guy that blows the dang skates up. Oh. Well, any friend of yours is a friend of mine. Look the guy up. Hey, hey, Archie. Yes? That, that poor little old lady standing over there at the door. What about her? Well, she wants to know if it's all right to sell violets here in the tavern. Sell violets? And take the booze money out of our customers' pockets? Get her out of here. But, but Archie, she's a poor old lady. Look, you're in charge of the cash register. I'm taking care of the troublemakers here. I'll throw that name out of here. I'll be back in a second. How do you like that? Good evening. Where can I find Archie, the genial bartender? That's him over there. Where? That's the Which one, one? there that's throwing that lady out in the street. <laughs> well, does he always throw old ladies out? Mm, not always. Sometimes the old ladies are stronger than he is. <laughs> uh, do you work for Archie? Yes, I work for him. Uh, tell me, what sort of a person is he? Well, let's put it this way. As the president might say, he's a sort of a boss, spelled backwards. <laughs> what you want to see him about? Well, uh, uh, I am the judge of the most popular bartender contest. Oh, well, uh, I'm sure he'd be happy to see you. Make yourself at home. Yeah, have a drink on the house. Uh, thank you, thank you. Mm. Well, it's no less than for that old hag. Oh, a customer ready? Well, sort of. I'm giving him a drink on the house. See, on the A counter. drink on the house? Look, Mr. Green, if you think you can give free drinks away to every bum that walks into this... Bum? Look here, you... you... Archie's the name. Archie the genial bartender. Eddie, throw this mooch around. And if there's any argument, let him have the bung starter. You hit me with that bung starter and I'll have my lawyer sue you for every penny you've got. Oh, yeah? Well, you better tell him to wear a bathing suit. I happen to be on my way to Atlantic City. Atlantic City? Huh? Yeah, and you can tell your lawyer to look up the winner of the popular bartender contest. Now, have you anything further to say before we throw you out? Yes, just one thing. What's that? I am the judge of the popular bartender contest. <laughs> <laughs> and so, as the setting sun sinks slowly behind the horizon, we say farewell. The beautiful Atlantic City. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, did you say you are a judge of the contest? I did. <laughs> Eddie, in that case, I guess our little joke is over. We can drag that dear little lady back out of the gutter again. <laughs> and now, sir, about my trip to Atlantic City. Your trip to Atlantic City, huh? A man who shoves his employees around. Throws old ladies out in the street. Insults customers. You are a disgrace of the bartender's profession. Good night, you hypocrite. Hmm. Eddie, I wonder if the guy is on to me. 
<laughs> well, <clears throat> what's the difference? One of these days, I'll own Duffy's Tavern and I can buy Atlantic City. Uh, hey, hey, Archie. Yeah? I got another envelope here from Papa. Another envelope? Yeah, yeah, and he wants you to put it in the safe. Let me see. It says personal. Do not open. Hmm. Eddie. Did he Steam it open, huh? Now, ain't Mr. Duffy gonna get suspicious when all of his letters start smelling like orange pico? <laughs> yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe we shouldn't do it. Uh, <clears throat> leave us just tear it open. <clears throat> Let's see here. Dear Archie, thanks for getting back to work. Signed, Patrick J. Duffy. P.S. The will is a phony, and so are you. <laughs> that dirty Duffy promised me he's gonna die and never... Just to get me to go to work. I just hope that guy lived to be 103. It's time now to leave Duffy's Tavern for this evening, but let's meet here again at the same time next Wednesday when our guest will be Ed Wynn. Duffy's Tavern is brought to you by Mum, the safer deodorant, and Vitalis for well-groomed hair. Each Wednesday, Bristol Myers brings you Duffy's Tavern and Mr. District Attorney, which follows immediately over most of these stations. <laughs> This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's Duffy's Tavern from May 18, 1949, with a popular bartender contest starring Ed Archie Gardner, as heard on NBC. Let's take a break, then it's more with The Whistler after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Time now for The Whistler. Let's go back to September 10th, 1944 for Local Storm on The Whistler. The Whistler, another signal mystery. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Tonight, the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal's famous Go Farther Gasoline and Motor Oil, bring you another in a series of strange tales by The Whistler. The story of the wild moors and strange people of Devon. Listen to Local Storm. On the southwesterly tip of England, deep in the wild moors of Devon, lies the little village of Stone Cross. Invalided Mrs. Wentworth is one of the few residents of this lonely place. She hasn't been here very long. She moved from London after the Blitz to this uh, safer place and bought a little white stone cottage on the moor. She has few, if any, friends. Her neurotic ways and snappy tongue and commanding attitude have turned them away. She has few visitors. The vicar's wife, occasionally, and Dr. Brooks more often. 
he's not really a doctor. He's a masseur, and he's in the living room of the cottage now, giving Mrs. Wentworth one of her treatments. It's not going too well. The unseasonable weather seems to have upset Mrs. Wentworth. Oh. Come oh. now, try. Just uh. once more, Mrs. Wentworth. Oh, please, doctor. Don't ask me to try to move again. It's agony. Agony, I tell you. But you don't try. Please try to understand it's really mostly in your mind. It's a psychoneurosis. I can't believe the pain's as bad as you say. My dear man, it's only by sheer pluck I stopped from fainting because of the excruciating agony in my legs. And this beastly weather has made it ten times worse. I don't think you should make me exercise. You know what the heart specialist in London told me. No exertion or excitement. Besides, I don't think they help me. Well, haven't you felt oh. any improvement from all this massage treatment? Well, the swelling seems to have gone down a bit. Swelling? Mrs. Wentworth, you've never had any swelling. Oh, yes, I did. And the aching, if only you knew. Sometimes I feel like giving up. Hmm, so do I. Eh? What do you mean? I mean, if you won't try, then there's nothing more I can do for you. You say my massages don't help you, and you don't do your exercises, and you don't follow your instructions, and you don't take your medicine. Certainly. They don't do me any good. You should try something different. You promised to cure me. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're sworn by oath to administer to the sick and to relieve the suffering, and you say it's a waste of time. <sighs> Very well. I'll see what else I can do. Uh, you'd better, or I'll cut you out of my will without a penny. Sometimes I think you're letting me die on purpose, just to see if you can get your hands on the money. But let me tell you this. If I don't feel better, a lot better very quickly, I'm going to get a fresh will drawn up. Now, please don't say foolish things, Mrs. Wentworth. I don't need your money. I assure you all I'm doing is my very best to make you well and have you walking again. And what about my wheelchair? You said you'd fix that too. Hark at it. All the time, squeak, squawk, squeak, squawk, squeak, squawk. It's getting on my nerves. Well, I really don't have time now. I have to be back at the village hall by six to assist at the post-mortem. Post-mortem? Uh, who on? Old Mrs. Lynn. She was found dead last night. Probably murdered. Good heavens, the vicar's wife. Yes, the vicar's wife. Oh, how awful. I never hear anything out here. I don't think you should leave me stuck out miles from everywhere with a murderer at large in this awful storm. I think it's oh, an outrage. Oh, Olive will take care of you. I really must go. I'll phone you if I get any worse. Yes, do that. Olive will let you out. I can let myself out, thank you. Good night. Good night. That's the first portion of The Whistler. We'll have the conclusion after these words. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now, let's get back to The Whistler. But Dr. Brooks didn't go to the village. If she could have watched him, she would see him making his way through the wet, rotting vegetation of the overgrown garden to the rear of the cottage. Mrs. Wentworth might have wondered about that if she had seen, but she didn't, and so... Olive! Olive, come here, Olive! Where are you? Yes, Mum. If my dear husband were alive, he'd horsewhip that doctor for incompetence. Yes, Mum. Olive, did you hear about the vicar's wife? Aye, Mum. Weren't it awful? Milkman told me. When I went past there this morning, all blinds was down. I thought it were funny. What did he tell you? Who? The milkman. He said Vicar went up to London to see about Orphan's outing. And when he got back last night, 
There she were in kitchen. They say it must have been a madman what wrung her poor neck. Oh, keep quiet. Don't tell me such things. You asked me. Turn the wireless on. It's time for the news. Yes, Mum. That's right. Leave it there. Anything else, Mum? No, I don't think so. Yes, Mum. Oh, dear. Why don't they get on with the news? This is the BBC regional program. Before we get on with the regular news, we have a special police bulletin. The police warn residents of the county of Devonshire to be look out, on the lookout for a dangerous criminal wanted for murder. This is his description. He is a man aged about 27 and... Ah! Olive, the lights have gone. Olive, come here, quick. Oh, oh dear, oh dear. Olive. I'll be here, Mum. Well, don't just stand there in the dark. Light the candles. Yes, ma'am. Oh, what a ghostly place this is. Every time there's a storm, the lights go out. Just when one needs them most. I wish I'd never come to this godforsaken place. Olive, what have you got your coat on for? I've put you a nice supper on a tray in kitchen. All you have to do is light the gas for the hot water for your tea, Mum. Eh? I hope I can be at home before rain starts. You're not thinking of leaving me alone, are you? Yes, Mum. Well, you can't. Dr. Brooks left strict instructions. I was not to be left alone. It be my early night, Mum. You don't seem to understand. I'm too ill to be left alone in this dreadful storm. And Sorry, will... Mum. But my husband has to have his supper. Come storm or no storm. Nothing hinders his appetite. Oh, please. Please stay. A little while tonight. There's a good girl. Just till the lights come on again, eh? You can see fine now, Mum. Ain't no good being afraid on thunder. Thunder never hurt no one. I forbid you to leave this house. But I got to, Mum. I warn you, Olive. If you go now, I'll cut you and your husband out of my will. I'm an old woman. I won't live much longer. So don't do anything you'll be sorry about later. I have to go, Mum. You don't know, George, when he's kept waiting. Please, please don't, Olive. Please don't go. If you'll stay, I'll give you that hat and that coat you liked in the village. I'll buy it for you tomorrow. I'm so afraid. I'm old and I'm lonely. I'm dreadfully afraid. Please, please say you'll stay, Olive. Sorry, Mum, but I've got to get home. I'll be back in morning. Good night. How can you be so unkind, you ungrateful girl? Come back. Come back, Olive. Come back. <laughs> Yes, she's all alone now, her old gray head buried in her hands, sobbing as if her heart would break. She stays that way for perhaps a quarter of an hour in the flickering candlelight, the only sound, the thunder in her sobbing, and then... <laughs> what was it? What was that? Oh, it must have been the rain. I don't hear anything now. It couldn't have been that man, that murderer. No, no, it couldn't. No one would want to harm me, a poor old invalid. No, no, I won't think of such things. I won't, I won't. <laughs> no, I don't want to be a... <laughs> a man is peering in the window. He's silhouetted by the lightning. He's moving away toward the door. Who's that? Is that you, Olive? 
Is anyone there? Oh, what an awful night. I shouldn't be left here alone. I'll have a heart attack. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I won't be left alone. No, the telephone. Why doesn't she answer? Oh, why doesn't she answer me? What number, please? What number, please? I want Waterfield, 1702. Waterfield, 1702. Yes, yes. They do not reply. But they must reply. That's the village hall. They're having a post-mortem on that poor... Sorry, they do not reply. Well, keep trying them. There must be someone there. The man is in the room now. I can just see him in the dim, flickering candlelight. He's hiding in the shadow of the doorway. She has her back to him as she sits hunched in her old wheelchair, trying to get the doctor on the phone. Hello? 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 What is the matter with the phone? Hello? 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 The man is right behind her now. He's raised his hands, huge hands, with the fingers outstretched, reaching, reaching toward her neck. Hello? Hello? Hello, exchange. Oh, oh, drat the phone, drat the whole blessed place. What a place. What am I to do? What was that? I could have sworn I heard. Who's there? Oh, there's someone right behind me. Who is it? Who? As the storm clouds thunder across the countryside, the invalid, Mrs. Wentworth, left alone in her solitary cottage at the edge of the moor, is startled by a hulking figure intruding into her living room. Is it... Could it be the murderer who is roaming the countryside? Could it be... Who are you? Evening, Mrs. Wentworth. Hope I didn't frighten you. Oh, it's you, George. Yes, you did frighten me. I knocked, and as you didn't answer, I thought better come on in, see how everything were all right. Well, thank you, George. I'm very pleased you did. I told Olive I didn't want to be left alone, but she had to go and get your supper. I know, i just seen and She told us how thunder had made you a bit jumpy, so I told Les. Never mind about my supper, I said. I'll go and cheer the old girl up. <laughs> Won't be long. Why, as you laughing like a 16-year-old. <laughs> oh, George, you shouldn't talk like that. <laughs> you really are a one you are. <laughs> Come here by the fire and get warm, eh? What you need is a drop of parsnip wine. <laughs> get roses back in your cheek. I'll get it for you. Oh, you're a good boy. Get my supper, will you, George? It's all ready. I'll have left it on a tray on the kitchen table. Won't be a couple of shakes or duck's tail. Oh, what a difference it makes if you aren't all alone. I didn't think I was going to eat a thing. Here you be, Your Royal Majesty. Supper fit set before Queen. Oh, thank you, George. You don't know how nice it is to have you here. Here you are. Here's your very good health. Thank you. Mmm, that does go down nice, that do. <laughs> it's very good. 
How is my garden these days, George? With the nasty wet weather, I haven't been out of the house since Sunday. Garden be doing fine. What with mud and all, I ain't done nothing much on outside. Well, I saw you digging between the raspberry bushes. I think it was yesterday. But you said it hadn't been out. I saw you from the window. <laughs> was thinking of putting you in there. <laughs> oh, George, you're always joking. <laughs> oh, don't tease me. <laughs> What's it for? Going to bury some old rubbish? What I want out of the way? Do them raspberry bushes world a good, that will. Oh, how nice. I love raspberries. Do you think I'll get a good crop? You ask me, I think you'll get more than what you're bargaining for. Oh, I do hope so. And how are the other things getting on? I don't know what I'd do without you. You've worked wonders around here. It's a real pleasure to have you working for me. A real pleasure to work for you it'd be. Not like working up to vicarage, old parsley be moaning about... Always moaning about something. If it bait one thing, be another. Not like us, hmm? Us gets on all right, don't us, hmm? <laughs> Oh, you are a one you are. I had forgotten you used to work at the vicarage. Uh, tell me, George, did you hear any gossip in the village about what happened to the vicar's wife? They say she was murdered. Yes, I heard them talking. Some say she weren't, some say she weren't. If she asks me, I says it were a good riddance. But let's forget about her. <laughs> Drink up now. Here's your very good health again. I shouldn't really. Oh, come along, won't hurt you, my pretty. <laughs> I, I'm feeling a lot better now. You cheered me up, George. I think the storm is passing over now. And what do you think? Bless ye. In morning, storm will be gone. Old sun will be shining. You never know as how this ever happened. I do hope so. This weather makes me feel my world is coming to an end. Uh, tell me, uh, what did you do for work before you went to the vicarage? Work down to the slaughterhouse, I did. Oh, how ghastly. Those poor animals. How you must have hated it. Nay, I liked it well there. <laughs> More fun than a barrel of monkey. Well, uh, why did you leave, George? Hmm, the blooming inspector throwed me out. What on earth for? I used to like to kill him with me bands. <laughs> oh, how dreadful. How fearfully dreadful. I wish you wouldn't say such things like that. You've given me the cold shivers. Put some more wood on the fire, will you, George? You ain't supped enough of that wine. That's what matter with you. I've had enough. And if you ask me, I think you've had too much. George gets up and puts more wood on the fire. The blaze gives long, weird, fantastic shadows to the scene as he moves behind a chair. He's looking at his great hands now. He's slowly raising them to the level of Mrs. Wentworth's old neck. She doesn't turn, but she's tensed up. She seems to sense her danger. What are you up to, George? Let go of my chair. Stop pulling at wheels. You ain't going nowhere. Let go! <laughs> Shut up and hollering. Hollering won't help you. You must be mad. The murder. That <laughs> hole you've been digging. Those poor animals, please. Please listen to me. You can have anything you want. <laughs> you won't tell her no tales of this away. You can have my money, all of it. I'll give it to you. I'll get it. Don't you worry about that. Hold still. I'll get it over quick, like. It won't hurt you. Please. 
Please let me go. Please. Don't. 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 She's struggling, trying to move the chair by pulling at the wheels, but he holds it easily with one hand, while with the other he's reaching for her scraggy, fragile old neck. At the touch of his fingers, she struggles up from her chair and runs from him. Now two people are running down the garden path toward the cottage. They're at the door now. Why? It's Dr. Brooks and Olive. Mrs. Wentworth is standing in the center of the room, and George is by the fire holding her chair, and he's laughing. <laughs> God bless you, Mrs. Wentworth. You'll be all right now. You'll always be all right from now on. Thank God it worked. I knew it would. I'm sorry George frightened you so, but you asked me to try something else, and so I told you to do it, as if it was the only way we could get you walking again. Now, you won't ever need that chair again. So I think you'll agree that it was worth it. Oh, I'm going to faint. Uh, leave her alone, Olive. She won't faint. How dare you trick me like this? I'm desperately ill. You might have given me a heart attack. Oh, there's nothing at all the matter with you. Get out of my house, all of you. Get out. Go on. Get out of my house. I'll see you're all sorry for this. Hey, I don't want to be well. You know what you'll be. You'll be an ungrateful old witch on wheels. And I hope you get struck like it. Get out! Get out, do you hear? You'll be sorry. The lot of you, you'll be sorry. I'll cut you all out of my will, all of you. Well, I'm certain that's all right with us, Mrs. Wentworth. None of us asked to be put there in the first place. So none of us will miss being taken out. If we ever were there at all. What do you mean, ever there at all? I mean, I don't think that we were in your will at all. That's only another device of your neurotic brain to force people to do as you wish. Well, I for one have had enough of such things. I've tried to help you and I did. I proved you tonight that you can walk. That there's nothing at all the matter with you. By and, uh, frightening me nearly to death with that horrible man. Yeah, now, be that proper. Us were only trying to help you. Oh, never mind, George. Perhaps we'd best forget about it and leave her. Yes, get out. Get out of my house. You fiends. You fiends. Now, who could that be on such a night? Uh, I don't know. You'd you better find out. Hello. Is Mrs. Wentworth at home? Yes, sir. Who shall I say is calling? Inspector Gentry of Scotland Yard and Constable Irwin of your village police. Why, gum, Scotland Yard. Inspector. Oh, come in, come in, Inspector. Thank God you came here. I've just had the fright of my life. Is that right now, ma'am? Well, what caused it? These, these terrible people. They frightened me nearly to death. Well, now, that's hardly a nice thing to do. Uh, I can explain it, Inspector. Yes, perhaps you'd better. Well, you see, Mrs. Wentworth is my patient. I'm Dr. Brooks. This is her maid, Olive, and her gardener, George. Yes, I know. And you're her doctor? Well, no, I... he's not a doctor at all, just a masseur. Uh, but I was giving Mrs. Wentworth treatments, and she didn't respond. I was sure that she was not really ill, so I tried an experiment to see if I couldn't prove it. And I thought uh, she would, of course, realize that I, I was trying to help her. Oh, and what was the experiment? Frightening me to death. Making me think George was going to murder me. Oh. Well, yes, you see, there'd been all this talk about the murder of the vicar's wife. And I asked George to come in here when she was alone tonight and act as if he intended to strangle her. In her fright, she got up from her chair for the first time in months. So, you see, the experiment did work. Uh, rather rough on the patient, though, don't you think? Doctor? Well, I didn't intend to upset her so much. I, I'm sorry if I made a mistake. 
It was really something of a joke, you know. Uh, nothing to get so excited about. I'm not so sure about that, Mr. Brooks. Is this the man, Constable? Aye, that's him riding off, Inspector. You see, Mrs. Wentworth, I'm not so sure they didn't really intend to murder you tonight. Because, you see, we have positive proof that this man, George, your gardener, is the murderer of the vicar's wife. George? Oh, no! Inspector, you... you oh, George! Look out! Get him, Constable! Yeah. Good show, Constable. That blow should hold him for a while. Inspector, I'm sorry. I, I had no idea. I'd never have done such a thing if I'd known. Perhaps not. You're, you're not thinking that, that I could have been planning a murder with George. I didn't say that, Dr. Brooks. Do you have a guilty conscience? Oh, no, 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 of course not. Uh, Mrs. Wentworth would tell you I'm one of her best, her, her only friends here in the village. Uh, she, she'll tell you. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, Mrs. Wentworth. Mrs. Wentworth. Oh, Mrs. Wentworth. Good heavens. I don't think Mrs. Wentworth will tell us anything, Dr. Brooks. And I'm just wondering. Wondering? What? Whether the law considers frightening a person to death murder. Well, that was rather a drastic cure Dr. Brooks used on Mrs. Wentworth, wasn't it? Yes, he cured her of her illness, all right, by frightening her to death. You see, Dr. Brooks streamed up that character for George... The character of a man who just loved to strangle things and people with his big, strong hands. And he was utterly amazed to find that he had hit the nail on the head. That George actually was that character. George probably would have murdered Mrs. Wentworth some night anyway. Just as he did his other gardening client, the uh, vicar's wife. Quite a coincidence, wasn't it? So much a coincidence, in fact, that the police wouldn't believe it could be a coincidence especially after they found out Dr. Brooks had a good motive for murder. Yes, you see, the good doctor was surprised to find that the old lady had named him in her will. Her death would bring him a tidy fortune. Another coincidence? Well, just one too many, I'm afraid. No jury will ever believe the good doctor's protestations of innocence. No, I'm afraid the good doctor will find himself convicted of a crime he didn't commit. A crime that wasn't a crime at all. The murder of Mrs. Wentworth. The Whistler is broadcast for your entertainment by the Signal Gasoline and Motor Oil Company and your neighborhood signal dealer at your service to keep your car running for the duration. The Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen. The story by James Sussex. Music composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. This program is being transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. Next week, The Whistler changes its time of broadcast and will be heard on Monday nights at 9 p.m. Remember, the next Whistler program will be a week from tomorrow night, Monday, September 18th, at 9 p.m. This is Bill Pennell speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's The Whistler with Local Storm from September 10th, 1944. Let's take a break. Then it's more on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. 
Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's Broadway is my beat. Meet Corliss Archer, the Cisco Kid Escape, the Great Gildersleeve, and the Mysterious Traveler. For my co-host Lisa Wolf, executive producer Mike Costella, engineer Sam Wolf, Vincent Chris Lombardi, my crabby brother Vince Amari, Adam West, and me, Carl Amari. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. To learn more about Hollywood 360 or to contact us, visit our website at hollywood360radio.com. Adam West speaking.